Good morning, self-evident listeners, watchers, podcast people, those of you who are against us, for us. As long as you're not apathetic, that's all I care about. It is New Year's Day. Happy New Year's. It is 2022. I have a special guest with me today. I have Pastor Todd Mazingo back again. He decided that uh, we didn't drive him away too much last week. So. Yeah, you know, honestly, uh, the last time I was here, my microphone didn't even work for the, a while. So now I've got Massey's mic. I feel like I'm a really promoted position. You're, here. you're actually moving up. I on am the doing well, so. man. Uh, one day I'm going to actually get a T-shirt out of this. I'm you sure. will someday. It's going to be amazing. Right. <laughs> a couple years down the road listened, after you've done your dues. I'm measuring and... your opinion of me based on whether or not I get a T-shirt. <laughs> well, you should say that our opinion has grown. Because you have a mic. You because, have massive Because mic. now my mic actually works. We can hear you wow. for the first 10 I minutes. I feel good. I feel good. <laughs> so guys, Massey and Carrie are away with the family. Um, I will leave it to them if they want to explain their process, their whole, but they've got some time off. Guys, uh, we are starting a new year. And in a new year, there's a lot of energy, potential, excitement, and self-evidence gearing up. Revive is gearing up. I'm going to just put this at the front. If you have not registered for the Truth to Power conference. Come on, you need to do that. You need to do it. And the whole reason I say it's new year, new potential, new growth, because now it's your chance to actually step forward, take some lessons, learn some things, get some encouragement and enthusiasm behind you to move forward and step into those things that God has called you to, whether it's political office or supporting those who go for political office, whether it's school boards, whether it's getting involved as a teacher, whatever listen, you not want. to mention, we're going to run out of room. Right. Exactly. We have limited space. So if you want this information, you should probably register. So go on to the self-evidenttruth.com. You can sign up there, register today. There's a meal for a low cost. You can get a meal there. You can hang out with us. Maybe get an autograph or two. Hey, maybe get a t-shirt. There you <laughs> we'll talk about the t-shirts okay. later. I, I want to because my feelings are hurt a little. Well, I'll be all right. I'll be well, all right. No, that's okay. No, we, go ahead. Go we, ahead. We, go ahead. We, we've, got, we've got a couple of discontinued ones maybe we can throw your way. <laughs> oh, ouch. Ouch. <laughs> Croft says he has a discontinued one, so you're almost to Croft's level. You know what? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay and do this thing. Today. I appreciate that. Perseverance. <laughs> Persevere on. through. So let's get started with the news bits. Croft, you ready? All right, let's do it. So slide number one, the NYPD is out in force, making sure you are secure, safe, and ready to eat with your papers. Papers, please. Ah, so the NYPD is now taking it upon itself to enforce vaccine mandates for indoor restaurants, gyms, movie theaters. You have to show your papers, show your vaccine card. And there's a couple of videos going around. One video is a five-year-old boy and his family getting kicked out of a restaurant. This is where we've got. Isn't to. this good stuff? <laughs> this is beautiful, isn't, this isn't good it? Stuff? What, what's good about it is it's being um, touted and foretold that we're heading in this direction. And sure enough, we are. Right. We're heading in this direction. <laughs> and then, but of course, a year ago, we were told we were crazy. That's right? what I'm saying. I, I don't think it should come as a surprise to anybody that we're headed in this direction. Right. In Austria, it's announced that they're going to start going door to door. To make sure people have vaccines and it's like, a, I don't remember what the fine is, 3,000 euros or something. You know, if you're not vaccinated, this is where it's going. The, the 
force enforcement of compliance. They're drunk on uh, power. Like the lady in Australia, what, about a month ago that yeah. uh, came to her home, said she was in the vicinity of somebody that was diagnosed and she decided to right. stay at home. They said, no, you're going to come to our little internment camp and you're going to stay there. <laughs> just hang out. It's, it's, it's just a suite, you know, it, it's hang out. Yeah. Didn't, didn't we tell the Japanese something similar during World War II? <laughs> it's a day spa. You'll be fine. Enjoy yourself. We yeah. just can't have you part of society. That's all. So the, we had the little boy who was five years old. Now, people are saying the little boy was harassed by the police, which if you see the video, I tried to find the video to be able to download it so we could watch the clip. I couldn't find it. It's on Twitter. Very easy to find. Um, you have 10 to 12 police officers standing around this family that's a tough five-year-old that is he was ready to swing <laughs> as he was like crying and gripping his mother but that it blows me away and, and there was another video of burger king some protesters had moved in were protesting the vaccination mandates and all of that and you had again like eight ten police officers we have police police officers in mass threatening people with arrest because they're not providing papers. This is this not insane? <laughs> Listen, have you heard the Cole Beasley story? I mean, here's a, a yeah. uh, previous wide receiver of the Dallas Cowboys. He's over at the Buffalo Bills now, okay? Uh, he has chosen not to get vaccinated. So NFL protocol is that if you're not vaccinated, you have to be tested on a regular basis. But if you are vaccinated, you don't have to be tested. And Cole is sitting <laughs> up saying, hey, why is there a different protocol if you can be vaccinated and get COVID and transmit COVID? Why aren't they being tested and only the unvaccinated? This guy has now racked up almost $100,000 in fines for not following the testing protocol. Jeez. You, and and his imagine? argument is so valid. Right. It's like if they can get it and I can get it, I'm not a danger to them. They're vaccinated. So why do I have to be tested and they don't have to be tested if they can get it and transmit it? Right. And to further prove that point that there's there's transmission going on with vaccinations, we've had the whole cruise ship situation you know, I, <laughs> probably best not to get me into the whole cruise ship conversation Wait, I'm, a, I'm a cruise ship fan. i was gonna say part of it is pastor todd loves his cruise ships i do love cruising <laughs> and it is absolutely ridiculous that we treat a cruise ship differently than we treat a hotel than we treat a concert than we treat a restaurant when all they are is a hotel a concert venue and a restaurant all in one place right okay but we treat them differently now here's the part that's kind of ticking me off for the most part you have to be vaccinated now to go on a cruise. Right. You can't get on a cruise ship unless you're vaccinated. However, if you've had COVID already, you have a natural immunity. So if you have a positive COVID test followed by a negative COVID test, to me, that should equal a vaccine card. Okay. So I provide you either the fact that I've been vaccinated, which I haven't, or I provide you my positive COVID mm -hmm. test followed by a negative to show you that I have natural immunity. A step further is that there already is in place an antibody test where you can go find out if you have natural immunity antibodies. Why aren't all three of those equal documentation? Right. Why are we saying that the only solution is vaccine when we know that the vaccinated can get it and transmit it? So now you've got this 80 something ships who have all had mm -hmm. COVID breakouts, even though they're vaccine only cruise ships. 
makes no sense. <laughs> There's no science in this. And that that just backs up Cole Beasley's argument of look, they can transfer it just just as they easy can as give I it can. To him. Yeah, they can give it to him. So if there's transfer going on all over the place and these cruise ships are perfect experiments, they're control groups, right? Because you have everybody vaccinated. They, they have to prove they're vaccinated. They're on the cruise ship for a couple of days and you're having outbreaks. That proves to us that these vaccines are not limiting transfer. Not at all. No. And, and Cole's point is, hey, since the vaccinated NFL player doesn't have to be tested, if they're asymptomatic, they're out there passing it around to everybody right. because they're not being tested right. like the unvaccinated are. Right. And, and like we were talking about earlier, the only argument that can be made towards a vaccine is that it it limits the severe reactions, the severe uh, symptoms of sure. the sickness. Okay, that's fine. That's personal responsibility. At that point, it's just your personal responsibility and the risk you're willing to take as to whether to get vaccinated. I, I think or it not, goes even you know. further than that because now what you're saying is a vaccinated person who can transmit COVID to a non-vaccinated person puts the non-vaccinated person in a greater opportunity to be truly sick right. because they're not vaccinated. Now, they have made that decision, so we have to respect that decision. Yeah. But now the truth is the vaccinated person becomes a greater threat to the non-vaccinated person. So, I'm telling you, there's no science in this at all. So we should probably quarantine the vaccinated, right? You know what? <laughs> Yeah, I but, mean, if we're going to go show, by that logic. Hey, listen, if you show a vaccine card, everything's good. That's everything's true. Good. Show us your papers. You can go to the restaurant. So let's go to slide number two, because now this is a different theme, different line, but this is going to get into our main topic. I think this is important to notice. So slide number two, UK Transport Minister Trudy Harrison recently said that it was necessary to leave behind 20th century thinking centered around private vehicle ownership and towards greater flexibility with personal choice and low carbon shared transport. Now, here's my problem is every time the word private in response to property comes up, if anybody is saying, look, let's rethink private ownership, immediately what comes to mind is this, yeah. socialism, communism. Yep. Marx himself said the, the goal of communism can be summed up in a single sentence, the abolition of private property. So anytime you go towards my property, I'm wary of you. And, and this reeks of control over people because reason. There's always no, crisis, no, absolutely. right? You've, you've got COVID is the reason everybody has to be controlled like they are now. Now you've got right. global warming is the reason they can't drive their cars. Right. And and so, of course, we'll push public transport. Well, hey, rely on us. That's what it gets out. Rely on us. And, of course, rent ride sharing, which those companies, corporations can easily be owned by major corporations. You know, that gets into the whole World Economic Forum thing. But Britain already has a program, a credit program. Uh, this gives you 3,000 British pounds to give up your car. The car gets crushed. That uh, <laughs> 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 Am I the only one that, that sees that as absurd? It's absurd. <laughs> Here, give us your car. We'll crush it. It's absurd. Because for you know, <laughs> roughly $4,000 US, 
uh, I don't have transportation now except what's provided publicly. Right. It's, it's so when I have any kind of emergency at my home, I've got to carry the person, you know, bloody into the bus yes. to yes. say, take me to the hospital. <laughs> or get on your moped, which they allow you to rent. <laughs> I hope I live close to a grocery store. Exactly. Well, and and part of the complaint in Britain is the people in the rural areas who are going, if you start pushing this and you you start mandating stuff like this, what are we supposed to do? You know, the the, the argument is the same, Mike. Either you're going to show the benefits of uh, the vaccine or show the benefits of public transit. I'm actually in favor of public transportation. I'm in favor of it just because of traffic, right? Because I don't want to come home and it take me an hour and a half to get home because there's too many cars on the road. So if you guys want to carpool up, if you want to have a train system that works better, let's do it, but let's show it by the benefit, not taxing (laughs) the people who are not using and punishing them for not using it. I'm so glad you brought up that word tax because Mm -hmm. so recently we had a drive per mile tax or a, a per mile tax passed through the Build Back Better legislation. Um, and the number that was floated around was eight cents a mile. So I wanted to do some math. The last raise of the federal gas excise tax that I could find was 18.4 cents. So this is per gallon. Let's say you have a 20 gallon tank. That's about $3.60 of federal tax that you're paying to fill up your tank. Now, let's say your vehicle goes 20 miles to the gallon, which I would love with my <laughs> <Mine> truck. <doesn't. laughs> no. <laughs> I, mine goes gallons per mile, not miles per gallon. But that means that you would spend about a buck sixty per gallon if you have this eight cents a mile tax. So a buck sixty per gallon, you have a 20 gallon tank. That means you're looking at 32 bucks per tank just in federal tax. And how many times do you fill up a month? So I put in here three months, three times a month. Let's say, you know, you drive a little bit. That's almost a hundred bucks a month in Come a on. single gas tax. In in a single tax. Not not Sing- to mention all the other inflationary things. Right. Not to mention wages not keeping up with inflation. Let's go ahead and tack on a hundred bucks in gas tax. Right. And, you know, there's man no- that makes me want to run to a bus, doesn't it? <laughs> and let's and, run to the bus. And that really makes the question of like, what what do you start? Hey, here's a good question. Forcing. Does the bus also play that gas tax? So now the bus oh, rates go up. Good question. What do you know? You know, government owned. Hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe not. This is the frustration that people have is the fingers that get involved into your life. And this this gets into our main topic, which I'm going to at the outset, ask the basic main topic question of you. And and we'll, guys, what I'm going to do is this is going to be kind of an interview devil's advocate just to help you parse out questions that maybe <laughs> he's going to put me on the spot. Yes, but he's good at what he does. So I look <laughs> forward to it. Um, the main question is, does God really care about your liberty? Right. And yes. so let's, let's throw this out. Yes. Okay, good show. All right. Thank you so much, guys. Have I'm a glad great I night. That well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when it comes to an issue like liberty, uh, we're talking about a character issue of God. We're saying, is liberty inside of the characters of God that he then wants to portray to us or wants us to emulate of him? Is liberty important to God? So scripturally, there's zero question. There's zero question. Uh, if you go to John eight thirty six, if the Son sets you free, 
You'll be free indeed. Galatians 5.1, for the freedom of Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to the yoke of slavery. Uh, John 8.32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Am I talking about becoming a Christian in these scriptures? Yes, I am. But what I'm saying is inside the character of God, there is a desire for his people to live free to live in a liberty state, to live unoppressed by others. And we see that biblically in things like being delivered out of Egypt Mm -hmm. into their own promised land. Uh, We see that in things like Peter being in prison and an angel leading him out of that oppression. God coming in and saying, you should not be oppressed. And in a prison state, I'm going to lead you out of here. Uh, We see that in the exile return from Babylon. They were in Babylon. God leads them back to rebuild Jerusalem. So we see him liberate. We see Esther uh, go up against the secular king of the time and say, hey, our people shouldn't be oppressed. They should be allowed to fight back. And they're allowed to fight back. We see Gideon who's oppressed by the Midianites, and and they are allowed to go fight the Midianites and win over the Midianites. My point is, over and over and over, the concept of liberty is woven throughout Scripture. God believes his people should live in an unoppressed, liberated state. All right, so let's parse that out. So one of the things you brought up, which we had had talked about this beforehand, one of the things you had brought up was the, the God removing his people from Egypt, releasing his people, right? Um, And so in terms of devil's advocate, some people might argue, okay, but there was a 400-year period of of slavery that God had had his people in, and he didn't seem to have concern about it until the end of the 400 years. Mm -hmm. So the question would be, is he care about liberty when it suits him, but hey— Go ahead, be a slave. I don't care. Good point. You know? He must not care about liberty in, until it suits him. <laughs> I, I think, no, I, I think you cannot demonstrate liberation without captivity. Hmm. Uh, so there has to be an opportunity for people to be oppressed in order to show a God delivering them from that oppression. It was never God's desire that his people be uh confined. It was never his desire that they be enslaved uh, to the Egyptians. And yet he uses that to demonstrate he will miraculously deliver his people from bondage. Right. So do you think, because several of like, and you had kind of touched on it, I want to go a little bit deeper in right. it. Um, the, the, the verses you used, especially from the New Testament, mm-hmm. were could be considered well that's talking about spiritual freedom right being being not yoked right. spiritually what i'm talking about right. is the character of god right. wanting his people to live in a liberated state right so would that be a liberated state only spiritual or would that no because you go the, back to guys like daniel and shadmach meshach and abednego who were oppressed by a secular government uh who opposed it and god delivered them Right. Okay. Wanting them to live, not not wanting them to die in a furnace, not wanting them to die by the mouth of the lion, delivering them, liberating them from that oppression. Hmm. So let's let's go into that. Um, And and this is more just an exploratory question, not a a pushing question. Um, The government aspect of it. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Daniel, these are guys that are pushing up against government. right? Right. And there's a sense of now, this is where I want to explore for listeners, especially, is 
those are, are the force of the government in terms of direct worship of somebody other than God, right? The government is trying to enforce this idea of worship, worship the king, worship a false worship idol, the right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Worship Fauci. And so that's an easy line for a, a person that's pushing against us to use of, well, that's talking about government enforcing worship, government enforcing vaccines or, you know, not having a car. That's a whole different horizon than worshiping a false idol. Maybe we could go to the story of Masada, okay, where the the Romans have uh, come to destroy and conquer in 70 AD and, and 900, I think it's 940 Jewish people go to the fortress of Masada uh, and they hang out there while it takes the Romans two years to get there yeah. uh, and, and uh, uh, breaking through. Uh, they have all basically committed suicide because they choose not to be oppressed. I don't believe that if you took the character of God and his desire for his people to live liberated and free, you can say that only applies to Christianity. It only applies to free from the oppression of the enemy or, or, or from darkness or from hell. Uh, what point would there be in having a life of joy and rejoicing if we're constantly oppressed? Right. Uh, in other words, you can't just take a, uh, you can't, uh, just take it and, and categorize it and say, God only believes in liberation in the Christian sense. Hmm. Otherwise, he would not be delivering his people from secular governments. Right. So that, and I'm sure our listeners have heard this before, but the, the whole Romans 13 argument is, well, God instituted those governments, right, to enforce compliance and you need to submit so yeah. that they they jump on that word submit and i know right. we're going to talk about this more at the conference right. so i'm going to give you a brief overview but when you get to the conference you'll get detail that you can defend and support this with um my personal take on romans 13 is that god is trying to teach us that he has established government what I mean by that is a ruling authority. In other words, if the government is on Christ's shoulders, then what he's trying to teach us is that there is a, an authority to submit to in Christ. And it filters down through everything that children obey your parents. Mm -hmm. Okay. He's trying to teach us about the fact that there will be a submission and authority structure so that we understand our relationship with him better. He is not saying I put Hitler in place. That's not what he's saying. Why would he do that to kill 6 million Jews? That doesn't make any sense in the character of God, mm -hmm. uh, that I'll put them in place to kill my own people. What he's saying is, I have put government structure in place. Now, for you and I in the United States, who is voting in that person? Right. Now, can God sovereignly control everything? Yes. Does he give us a free will? Yes. Are we choosing something other than he wanted? Is that not what we did with Saul and the judges? Right. He said, you need a judge. We said, no, we need a king. He said, well, if you want a king, I'll give you a king. But it's because you wanted it, not because that's what I wanted for you. Right. And that's, I think that's something that we really have to take into account is what does God want for us versus what we decide we want. And I think that story of, of the Jews saying, God, we don't, we don't want you. And he's saying, look, this is what your king will do. 
he'll, he'll take your men for his armies or your, your sons for his armies. He'll take your daughters for his courts. He'll take your livestock. He'll take your first fruits. He'll take your land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. We want a king. But he, yeah. he's given us the opportunity to actually choose well. Right. Uh, and then when I say that, you know, we just went through this election uh, and, and we talk about 80 million people voting for the current president. OK. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and this has been something Ben Carson brought to me in an interview one time. He said, do you know how many registered believers, people who claim Christianity there are in the U.S. right now, just that are registered to vote 94 million? What does that say? That if Christians could come together, they would be electing the president. Right. And, and now Christianity has a trouble getting itself together. Uh, but when it comes to the values of a particular candidate, Christians ought to be able to look at platforms and say, this is the more godly choice. And if we came together for the more godly choice, Christians would be deciding who was president. Right. And I think that that goes into the sense of, of principle and really supporting a candidate that holds principle and foundation versus, you know, because it quickly becomes a policy you back know, and forth. I'm very know. happy to say, and we could say it in this last election, that there was neither candidate who truly upheld everything of God. Right. Okay. But there are some glaring definitive differences. Okay. Right. Uh, you know, mean tweeter versus I want a portion to the ninth month. Do we really have to debate that, Mike? Right. Do we have to decide which would we prefer? <laughs> like, like one is hurting your feelings and one is murdering children. Right. How is that a decision? I and I had somebody a while ago. Um, they flared up a political debate with my wife, actually, and one of the things they said, would, you know, is something to the effect of, "Is abortion the only thing you care about?" As in, like that's just a side thing. It's, well, this is the life of the defenseless that we care about. So, yeah, this is a pretty big policy thing, but it, it's not the only thing. <laughs> like, yeah, it is not the only thing, but it's a huge thing. It's a huge thing. And, and this was coming from Christians, right? It, which blows my mind that there, there can be this process of, well, that's not a big deal. What's bigger deal is is regulations and, and global warming and, you know, it, this weird side twist. Okay. So they're all else, important. You know? Right. Okay. But, but making the decision, uh, and a friend of mine really taught me this about 10 years ago, um, for you and I to decide for anybody on this planet to decide that we will determine when the planet comes to an end is an utmost arrogance, right? That is not our decision. That is God's decision. So we're saying, oh, global warming is going to destroy and it's going to flood. Listen, it ain't coming till an end until God <laughs> says it's coming to an end. Yeah. Because if God doesn't want it to come to end, he can hold waters back. Right. I've seen that in scripture. Okay. So it's not up to us to decide when it's over. God is going to decide when it's over. So if you want to tell me, do I, would I preference a global warming issue over abortion? Buddy, I'm on abortion every time. Exactly. And and I think something that you you uncovered there is there's a difference between how do I force of compliance. Let's let's use the the taking care of the earth. Okay. Right? So there's this idea that well we need to force everybody and mandate things and and coerce and that way we'll save the planet because they always use this fear of the planet will be destroyed. Stop eating meat because of the cows right. gas. Cows fart. Yeah. So Let's stop the cow's fart. Let's eat bugs. But the problem is, okay, now we're using force and, and coercion. Back in Genesis, one of the original 
tasks given to man was to subdue the earth, to steward the earth. Yes. Right? So now there's individual responsibility that's there of take care of it, which means each of us has an individual responsibility to do what we feel is right in order to take care of the earth. It doesn't say anything about coercing your fellow man and forcing your fellow man to take, you know what I mean? Like if we're going to talk about liberty, this liberty of individual responsibility is important to retain through everything. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to necessarily argue uh, that we should or should not take care of the earth. Right. But I think if you go back to Genesis, what he said was subdue it and rule over it. Right. Uh, In other words, manage it, if you will. Uh, and he was talking about authority and having authority over the animals, having authority over the earth, having authority over the enemy on the earth. So I don't think his point was make sure it stays green as long right. as you can make it stay green. Right. Um, but do we have that responsibility? Yeah, we are stewarding. Uh, okay. And, and should it be an issue to determine? Let me just say this. I don't think any of us right now know what follow the science is. Because science has become (laughs) tomorrow at Revive Church, if you want to come. I'm talking about truth. The ability to decipher truth is almost zero right Right. now. Is there global warming? We can debate this back and forth forever because we don't know what truth is in the whole global warming argument. Uh, And so should we consider uh, if waters are rising and, and doing? Sure. I don't have any problem with that. I I think we can stop putting that stuff in our hairspray. We can find another hairspray. That's fine. Right. I I think we can give Beano to the cows. I don't know. But the point is, um, (laughs) when we make it an issue to then use it to control, to use it to press other agendas that don't have anything to do with global warming, when we're beginning to steal away private property and say we need socialism so that the waters won't rise, we got a problem. Right. And I I think I've made this point on the podcast before, but I'm going to make it again because I think it, it needs to get drilled into people's minds. Private property is a, a God-ordained thing, and here's my argument. There's a commandment that says, thou shalt not steal, which means there is ownership of property. God provides us the opportunity to have property and then says, look, do not take from another man. Uh, You'd you'd go straight to the promised land. God said, this is your possession. Right. It's yours. Okay. (laughs) The people that are there, drive them out. It's yours. Right. And so God says, look, this is your possession. This is your private property. And they even divide up the land for the tribes. They, They say, look, here's your land. Go ahead and do with it what you need to do with it. There's there's commerce. There's free market in the whole system. There is no concept of everybody pour everything into the middle, and then you're going to divide it out evenly, and we're going to do that every year, year after year, because that's the only way to do things. If if communism, socialism, this idea of common good over individual ownership of property was true, there would be no thou shalt not steal. It will say thou shalt not own. Yeah, right? You know, and, and let me let me counterpoint your argument then. Doesn't Jesus come and say, um, hey, care for your neighbor? Didn't they in Acts uh, come together and, and pool all their resources and, and all live off them? So how are you going to argue from a new covenant standpoint, land ownership? Right. 
I'm ready to <laughs> knock this one. So the, especially the the whole axe argument. People make that axe argument of see the church pooled their money, their resources, they sold everything, and a there was no coercion from the church authority structure of this is what you guys need to do. There was none of that because otherwise you would have seen it in all of the churches. This was one church, right? The, the Jerusalem church, if I'm not mistaken. You didn't see it in the Corinthian church. You didn't see it in the Ephesian church. You didn't see it. You saw it in this one group. It was voluntary. Everybody came together and said, hey, let's sell some stuff. Let's pool our resources. Let's take care, right? There's nothing wrong with that with a group saying, hey, let's do this. But you notice there's no mandate, there's no doctrine put forward. There's there's no Christ saying, sell all your possessions or else. It's where's your heart in the matter, right? And Christ always gets to the heart. So a big thing about it is people people point out the, the rich man. Yeah. Sell all your possessions and follow me. So that, see, see, you're not allowed to be rich. What he was saying was where the man's heart was. He's saying, look, he, you always notice Christ needled the heart position of the person. He, he didn't need to talk to that guy about uh, disrespecting his parents or committing adultery because he even asked him. He didn't right? tell the middle income guy to sell all that you have. Exactly. Thank you. He, he didn't tell the poor guy, give away the rest of your two yeah. minas. You know? No, he tells this guy, sell all your possessions, give to the poor, follow me, because he saw that the guy's heart was wrapped up in, in the, possessions. the possessions. Correct. And you notice the guy walks away sad which shows where his heart was the whole time. Yep. Now, the, notice Christ even asked him, you know, how does he say it? He, he asked him, you know, what, what do you need to do? Or, or the guy asked him, what you, he what says, I? I've honored my parents. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't done that. I've, I've been good. And Christ says, yeah, okay, but here's your spot. Yeah. Here's your flaw. Here's the the sin, the thing holding you back from the kingdom of heaven, yeah. right? As you claim that you've done everything well, right? guess what? There's an error <laughs> you haven't done everything well. So I, I want you to, to volley back your own question, because I'm sure there's angles that I've missed, but I get, I get frustrated with Jesus was a socialist. Jesus you know? <laughs> was not a socialist. Um, and, 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 and I know... Uh, that Massey is going to cover that topic at the conference. And yeah. I know that Massey is going to cover that conference, uh, that topic well. Uh, and so I, I don't, I'm not a fan of stealing thunder. Okay. <laughs> uh, but let's just say that um, you need to go right now and you need to go online to reviveusnow.com and you need to register oh, for this conference. Uh, you need to come with the attitude of, I need to learn this other line of thinking. I need to learn a different one than I've been taught in the past. I need to recognize that maybe we've been walked down a path in the church uh, that has led to where we currently are, and we're going to be accountable for where we currently are. And maybe I need to figure out if I've been led down the right path or not. Can I, I think it would be safe for us to get into this. And if this is going to bite into your presentation, we don't have to go there. But what do you think kind of started that process or, or where do you think necessarily where it originates from? But how did the church get to the point where it's saying we need to submit no matter what? No, I, we have to talk about basically our generation because that's what I can speak to most intelligently. OK, and, and we're talking about the last 60 years. Right. What I have seen in the last 60 years uh, is the church fall to the paradigm that the church and the state are supposed to be separate. 
uh, and that because of 501c3 statuses, we're not supposed to talk about government. Uh, and, and the two biggest fallacies in that is that it is the government that is telling us the church and the government should be separate. It is not the church that's saying, no, we shouldn't. We should be involved in government. Uh, and two, uh, the 501c3 only had to do with campaigning for a candidate. Right. It didn't have to do with talking about the candidates once they're elected and saying, this is wrong, this is right. Next time an election comes up, we should, we should stand for this instead of this. Uh, and so the, the church itself has become passive when it comes to governmental issues, because we think that's tolerance and love. Listen, Jesus confronted both secular and religious government. Okay. Uh, we cannot afford to any longer say God does not have a role through his people in government. It makes no sense. You just have to watch the slide we've been on for 60 years that mm -hmm. I've watched it and see if Christians continue to not be involved in the decisions of our government and the affairs going on in our government, we will continue to a slide where Christ is going to return. And my only response is going to have to be, I'm sorry, I didn't know I was supposed to stand up for you. Right. We can't do that any longer. We have to stand up and say enough. You know, it hurts. It hurts to a degree to watch the church Listen to a discussion where governors of states are saying, let the child be birthed and then we'll decide whether it lives or not. Right. That's sick. That's sick. And the church said, well, there's a separation of church and state. And we have this 501c3. So we're against it, but we really can't rally. We really can't do anything. What does that do? It allows state after state after state to say, okay, abortion up to the point of birth. Because nobody's standing up when there's enough of a voice in this country to stand up and say, no, guys, that's sick. It's wrong. And not only is abortion wrong in the ninth month, it's wrong in the first month. And we got to stand up and say something about it. Abortion is not the only topic. Okay. Plenty of things we can go against. And listen, I, I want to say this because I'm actually going to be saying it tomorrow in my message. If you've had an abortion, listen to me. God's not angry with you. God forgives. God rejoices in the child that he has. God rejoices in your future. God rejoices in the plans he has for you. So this is not a condemning statement about your past. It is a statement saying, as believers, we must take a stand. If we're not the voice of God in our country, what are we doing here? We're just waiting to be rescued out of it. If that were the truth, then why doesn't he take us to heaven when we become saved? Because we're here for purposes, because he has plans for us. Because now I believe in this year, Christianity must come together and must stand up for the things of God, must begin speaking for God, must begin speaking for the truths of God. There are truths. They are black and white. It is not negotiable based on what you think. What you think does not establish truth. You cannot decide your gender. That is not truth. Okay. And, and when God speaks, that is truth. 
And so it's time for the believer to stand up and say, no, this is what my God says. This is wrong. And I can have an influence on whether that's allowed in my state or my county or my city or whatever. And uh, to, to segue on that, and I want to round, round back to the Johnson Amendment for a second, because uh-huh. I think that was, that was indicative of a bigger issue. And you're, you're talking about truth. So let's, let's set this premise. God is truth. Christ himself calls Satan the father of lies. Correct. Right. So what the church did when the Johnson Amendment was passed and the church said, oh, okay, what they just said was, you can tell us what to talk about and you can tell us what we're not allowed to talk about, which means they have just put God aside and said, well, we know, God, you want us to talk about this. We know this is important to you, but the government's saying, hey, they'll crack down on us a little bit, so we we better not get into all of this. What they've just did was basically a, a microcosm of the garden all over again. I, I know what you said, God. I, I know where you stand, but I they told me to be silent, which means now all of a sudden you're obeying the father of lies, right? Once you've allowed yourself to be a vessel for somebody else's message besides God, you have now allowed yourself to be a vessel or at least allowed the message of lies to be passed through the society and culture, right? And so I think this is a lot bigger issue than people tend to see it for is because what the church has continually done in certain respects is said, we're going to back off of this. We're, we're not going to get involved. We're, we're going to step away from this, which goes back to the argument, if you're not following God and you're not speaking as as the voice of God, the vessel of God, then you are allowing another voice to reign supreme in the culture and society. Uh, it goes from um, a Johnson Amendment that, again, I've never seen a church lose a 501c3 status because they spoke out about government. Uh, in, in May of 17, uh, the enforcement of that uh, was negated right. uh, by an executive order. Um, and, and what happened was... Uh, The original Johnson Amendment was to say you cannot campaign for a candidate. You can't tell your people in the church who to vote for. What that slid into is you can't talk about government issues because there has to be a separation of church and state. That was never even in that amendment. That was never the purpose of that amendment to say you can't continue to preach about the ills or the evil of abortion uh, or or drunkenness or genderism or whatever it is. But the church has said, well, we're supposed to be I'm going to call it like I see it. I believe it's really pastors who are saying it's easier not to talk about tough topics. Because people will get upset, people will leave my church, people will not agree with me, it'll just cause dissension. And so what we do is we say, well, Jesus kind of tolerated everything, so let's kind of tolerate everything, and let's talk about only the gospel in realms of good things and behavior modification and those kind of things, and we stop talking about the tougher issues. And so the church has become lame in its stance for the things of God. Right, and... This this is just hit me, and this is kind of free flow. But I wonder if that's helped produce the kind of self self visual or self centered outlook. Is well, I'm I'm not allowed to be be political. Is is what the pastors kind of 
taking that approach. And so I'm going to take the easier approach. And like you said, so now it becomes good works, bad works, self, self-improvement through behavior modification. And there's a inward looking that tends to happen at that point, almost a selfish inward looking of, well, I'm not allowed to look at that stuff. So I'll, I'll just focus on self. Whereas if we allow, if, if we encourage our pastors, our leaders to say, you need to look out into the culture. And we're, we're not just talking about homelessness. Okay. That's, that's morally easy. Homelessness is morally easy because there's not a single person who says, well, that's a good thing. You know, but getting into the, the cultural issues that are still important to God that we've decided are off limits, you start turning your eyes outwards. No, what right? we end up doing is leaving our, 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 whether you call them congregations, parishioners, whatever, we're leaving our people inequipped to answer because we won't address the topic ourselves. We won't say where we stand on issues because that might be politics. And listen, the word politics has now become the, um, the stay away from phrase. Uh, it's not about Republican or Democrat. It's not about sides. It's about God and right or wrong. And you can say one side in politics seems to be more on God's side and one on the other. That's not the issue because on both sides, there's things going on that are not godly. Yeah. Okay. So the Christian needs to be standing up and saying, okay, if there's going to be a Republican party and a Democrat party, where's the Christian party? Right. So that we can say, no, we're just here for the things of God. And we want to make sure that the things of God get in. But my, I guess where I started from is in our own churches, we are being silent and quiet because we're not equipped because we don't know where we stand Mm -hmm. because we don't know what we should know because our teachers are not teaching us what we need to know about these kind of issues where we need to stand. Now, a lot of us know scripturally that, Hey, this is wrong. We'll take the one issue. Um, murder is wrong. If you're going to kill an eight and a half month old child, that's wrong. Okay. But we don't know how to defend it. We don't know what to do about it. We can just say it's wrong. This is what the conference is about. How do we equip ourselves to know what to do instead of just identifying a right and a wrong? Right. And that it it's so important to have that knowledge, to have that understanding. And and I think what people tend to think is, well, if I've got the knowledge, then I'll I'll know for a response in an argument. But part of gathering that knowledge, that realization is it helps set firmer the foundations and principles that you have for, or the convictions that you have as to why you step out, right? So once I have knowledge that there is a genocide of the unborn going on, all of a sudden my conviction is pricked and I go, something needs to be done about that, right? And so if you don't have a knowledge of what's going on, you don't have a knowledge of, of issue in the culture, then it's very easy to put the blinders in. Well, you know, you slide people are right people. into complacency, right? And Submitted. you just sit and say, "Well, I, you know, I don't have a, I don't really have, I can't have any kind of force on this. I can't really do anything about it." And yet, Scripture is clear uh, that the gates of hell. Listen, the gates of hell are on earth. It is Satan's kingdom on earth. It is what Satan is doing in this earth, and those gates cannot prevail against the offensive move of the church, of the kingdom of God going through those gates. They cannot stand. And yet we passively sit on the sidelines and say, well, there's the gates, but we're not real sure what to do about it. Which that just submits to the the 
the spreading of the kingdom of, of Satan. <laughs> right. It which, just allows him to take more ground while we sit and say, well, we weren't sure what to do about it. Which, and my question would be, and this, this should be a pretty simple um, example for people, who do you think is more likely to be oppressive, authoritarian, uh, uh, dictatorial, forcing compliance? Satan or God? Right? Mm. It, 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 when we boil it down to these two pretty simple, like, well, who's more likely to be oppressive enforcement? Now, you'll get the angry atheist. They'll say, well, that's God. He gave Ten Commandments and he gave Leviticus and he won't let them eat shrimp. God gave us free will. <laughs> right. God gave us a free will in the garden and said, you can choose or not choose. Okay. I just don't want to be one of those people who, when Christ returns, I say, I didn't choose. Right. I, I chose not to choose. What's that? An old rush. If you decide not to choose, you still have made a choice. It's, yeah. it's absolutely so, true. Um, you, you know, I, I don't want to be in that situation where he said, well, you could have done something about this and, and you chose not to. Why did you choose not to? Well, because I didn't know what to do. Right. That's not acceptable. Not when we can find out what to do. Not when we can take the opportunity for me to hear both sides of the argument. You know, come to the conference to hear why we're saying you should be involved. If it's not valid after you've heard it, if it doesn't ring true in your spirit, if you don't think that's truth, okay, you've at least heard the argument. Come to the conference. I think you're going to find out, wow, we've been sitting back doing nothing when we could have been doing something. Right. And you, there's an energy you gain when you're, you're, you're being a part of something. You're, it, it, God has put into us this passion to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, yeah. which as Christians, that's the kingdom of God. That's that's being a part of the kingdom of God is something bigger than yourself. And so you're you're motivated and encouraged and enthused to to grow and go forward, right? And when people sit back and they don't do, I think a lot of depression is caused by people who who know they should be doing more and they're not. And that could be as simple as like, I know I should get up for work today, but I'm not going to. And this process causes a discontent in a person because they know they're not fulfilling what God has placed on their heart. And I think that's from the smallest to the greatest is, are you fulfilling what God has called you to do? What's your purpose? What is he, what's your meaning? Life is meaning. There is meaning to life, right? And when we place God at the proper position all of a sudden it all clicks together and your meaning has the greatest meaning possible. Yeah. You could have some meaning going out and earning millions of dollars and, and being a philanthropist. You, you can make yourself fairly contented. But I argue that there's still this section that goes unfulfilled because you're not doing it for the Lord. There, there's still a disadvantage there. There's still something that, is, wow, there could be more. Maybe I need to earn more and be more of a philanthropist. Whereas with the Lord in the proper position and proper context, I have $5 that if I spend it the way the Lord has, has put on my heart to do, I feel fully contented. You know, right? Mike, what's a parable in the Bible? A parable in the Bible is a demonstration picture to help you understand a concept. And Christ gives us two very, very clear uh, parables called the talents and the minas. Okay. And they are parables, meaning they are teaching you about something else, but helping you get a better picture of it. In both parables, he's saying, I have given you something and I am going to come back to see what you did with it. Right. Now, if you reduce that to just money, you have flat missed the point. 
Okay. Because the parable was supposed to teach you something spiritually, not teach you something about cash. So the point being is there is a day of accountability for how we handled and managed ourselves how we handle and manage what he gave to us and what we're going to be doing with our future and eternity based on how we managed and handled that. That can put a tremendous amount of pressure on you. But I'm saying in this season, it is time for us to recognize that as a church as a whole, and I'm talking globally as the church, we have not stood. All right. I got to say this just because we talked earlier about knowing it was coming, the papers, right. knowing it was coming. I'm talking to a missionary who we work with regularly in another country who is being told by his government he cannot accept resource funds from us. He cannot. Oh, and by the way, if he converts a person from the country's religion to Christianity, it's a $7,000 fine. Now, let me tell you how that happens, because the church doesn't stand up and say, "Uh, uh-uh, no, the kingdom of God is going to advance and the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. And the beauty of America versus another country is America was a, a Christian, Judeo-Christian foundational new land, even, even as, as far back as when the colonists came over. There was very now there was corporate interest, there was business, economic, but a lot of the settlements that started popping up and as they grew, very much where we feel this is a not a, a replacement of Israel, but a new land for for the Gentiles, kind of like a the Gentiles version of Israel. This this is our land. God's given this to us. How do we how do we do this for the Lord? How do we grow this for the Lord? That is such a beautiful opportunity compared to other countries. And so we've built on the foundation of this is a land that we have so many Christians. We have such influence. We we have such a a power through this land. We are absolutely insulting to the Lord to give that up and say, well, you know, we can't get involved. He gave us this land. Yeah. He allowed us this opportunity. Who are we when we watch other Christians persecuted in other countries that didn't get that opportunity and that joy of being able to walk in a free and blessed land and say, we're planting our flag for the Lord here. They've got to work from from behind enemy lines. They've got to work and niche out their territory that is enemy territory. We were put into land that was not enemy territory. <laughs> like, how dare we not? Take everything we've been given and use it as much as possible. Come on. You know, I just, it, 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 it floors me. And that gets, guys, that gets into the whole history of America. You're told oh, America was founded for slavery and America, you know, the, the, the what is Puritans, truth? pilgrims. What is you know. what is yeah, truth? exactly. Who's truth? Exactly. You know, and that's. Here, here's the truth we do know. We have a solid Christian foundation in this nation. It was documented. Yes. Okay. So we know that to be true. Uh, we know that in our Declaration of Independence, it said that these rights are endowed by a creator, not by a government, but by a creator. And I, I think people really don't get that. Yeah. I don't think they get, uh, you know, I, I don't mind saying it took me a long time to finally look up the word inalienable, to find out what that, that word actually means. Right. 
what that word actually means is it cannot be taken away. Yeah. The, the, the rights given to you by God for life, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness cannot be taken away from you. And they are to be um, governed by those who were put in place by the governed. Right. In other words, we're the ones with the voice to say these rights cannot be taken away. Now that's that's in our constitution that it was given to us by God and it is inalienable in our constitution. Do we believe that God believes in life? Buddy, he gave us life. <laughs> we don't have life without God. God endued the right of life on man. He breathed life into him in the garden. He formed him out of dust. He breathed and he became a living being. Is that an inalienable right by God? Yes, God gives life. The Constitution can't give me life. My neighbor can't give me life. The government can't give me life. God gave me life. Did God give me liberty? He said, I want you to live free. I want you to be free indeed. Uh, I, I will deliver you from the oppression. I will deliver you from the enemy. Yes, he's given me liberty as something from God. The pursuit of happiness. Does he not say rejoice in the Lord always? And again, I say rejoice. Does he not say the joy of the Lord should be your strength? Right. Does he want me to be in a state of joy slash happiness? That's God. Then we turned around and said, we so know that that is God, that we want to put it into a declaration to say, these are the things that God gave us and nobody can take that away from us, not even our government. Right. And the what I'll be covering in the, the conference goes very well along this line of that philosophy behind law and liberty and, and rights. Because I think we decide, well, government can tell me whether or not I can, well, I've got freedom government of speech. Government can tell you can't you know, be happy. Yeah. Government go, said on Tuesday at four o'clock, everybody's going into unhappiness. <laughs> be unhappy. Right. Like no. we, we, we've somehow twisted it to, well, government determines what are my rights and what are not my rights. This gets into the whole bill of rights. They're and, endued by the creator. Exactly. Not it, by the government. God is the one who gives rights. The documents put forth were there to help list out and define some of it. Notice that word, some. some. And that's Truth. that's something that drives me nuts is, well, you know, if it's not covered in the Bill of Rights, I mean, I guess it's off limit. We can't. And I'll get into that whole argument and, and decimate the idea that, well, if it's not written, I mean, the government can do whatever <laughs> they want with it. No. Listen, people do that with the Bible too. <laughs> right, you know? right, exactly. Um, so we're we're touching up on an hour. Any last thoughts, last things you want to say to round this out, especially in this context of does God care about liberty? Does God was one of the how do I want to say it? is one of the defining characteristics of God the idea of I want you to have liberty and freedom. It it is it is stunning to me that anyone could look at scripture and not realize that God wants his people to live liberated, free, joyful. Why was our eternity defined as a place with no sorrow and no tears, no bondage? Okay. Because God's desire is to have joyful. Don't forget God is a father. I don't know fathers who say, I really want the overall goal for my children to be miserable in bondage to something. Okay. That's not what fathers do. 
Fathers say, what do I got to do to open the opportunity for my kids to live a joyful, free, happy, controlling themselves Mm -hmm. life? This whole thing we're talking about when it comes to liberty and God is a core character of our God. Amen. I I can't put it any better myself. So, (laughs) So, guys, I want to say thank you so much for supporting us this past year. 2021 was a a big year for self-evident. Self-evident really moved forward. We're, We're coming into association with revive which we're so thankful to revive that that you guys are are supporting and partnering up with us and and helping move this mission forward um and we're very excited for 2022 and i, I think the conference is such a great kickoff yeah to that it, it's guys the conference is not the last thing the conference is not the well the revive and self-evident came along like this and now they're splitting up you know the, this is just the beginning. That might right. happen, but it would right. be contingent on whether I get a t-shirt or not. Well, we've I'm got discontinued. They say make America constitutional again. So we'll give you one of those. <laughs> so um, guys, register for the conference. It's coming up. It's coming. It's almost here. We were yep. in January, January 14th, 15th. You've got to do this. You've got to be there. If, if anything, just so you can get an autograph. <laughs> But until next time next week, uh, we love you guys. Thank you so much to Pastor Todd Mazingo. Glad to be here. Um, we, we love you guys. We cherish you. Feedback. We always want feedback. We always want shares. We always want comments, like, dislike, whatever you want to do. Um, we love you. We'll see you next week. Have a great day, guys. God bless.